Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we endeavour to explain the beautiful game. On today's episode, we're talking about cheating in soccer. When does it happen? Why does it happen? And what are some of its most famous examples in the game? My name is Ryan Bailey. Given the subject matter, you're probably going to hear me say the words Lewis and Suarez a little bit in this episode. (laughs) Joining me today, we have... Taylor Rockwell, you heard him laugh just there. Tay-Tay, hello. Yeah, he's on the list for sure. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm very good. I'm glad he's on your list too. Graham Ruthman, how are you, sir? Not bad, Ryan. How are you? I'm very good indeed. It's been a minute since we spoke. It's not as if we just recorded a podcast episode just before this one as well. So it's very nice to hear your dulcet (laughs) tones again. And of course, those of Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Joe. Let's get straight into it. So um, cheating in soccer is what we're talking about in this episode. I don't think we need to explain why it happens, do we? It's (laughs) to gain an advantage on the soccer field, essentially. And is it fair to say in some soccer cultures that win at all costs thing is more acceptable than in others? There's a perception, Graham, perhaps in South America that there might be some trickier uh, things going on for example than elsewhere and it's more culturally acceptable is that fair to say um to a certain extent i'm wary of uh, kind of making any offensive, just go ahead uh... and say latin temper real fast Graham. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to go there but you, i'm trying to think of a way of describing the words lewis and suarez here <laughs> yeah i mean having having through my job watched a lot of spanish soccer um, which obviously is not south american but borrows a lot in its in its culture from south america yeah i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of things are deemed as more acceptable in, in Spanish soccer, or more, not so much acceptable. They are discussed, but seen as part of the game, um, than maybe yeah. would be the case in, in in the Premier League. One of the mentions, one of the things I was going to mention that is quite common practice in Spain. You wouldn't call it cheating, but maybe gaming the system a little bit. As in Spain, quite commonly you'll get a player deliberately getting a yellow card say that there's in two games time you know Real Madrid have got the Clasico against Barcelona and a player is one yellow card away from a from a suspension it is quite common for a player to deliberately pick up a yellow card to get the one match suspension so they're free for the the you know the big game Jose Mourinho famously did that a lot at Real Madrid and that is something that would I think would cause a lot of discussion in the English media but in the Spanish press is just kind of accepted as something that happens. I think it's one person's gamesmanship is another person's cheating. And if you need an example of that, maybe ask Ryan how he feels about Giorgio Chiellini these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horse collaring is a, is a phrase I've never used in soccer before, but is now very much part of the rich soccer lexicon, Taylor. Um, I'll ask you, Taylor, as someone who mm. I think has professed to play upwards of four times a week, which, let's admit, Ooh, that's, not that's anymore. too much. But yeah. yes. In, yes. In, in your heyday, shall we say. Mm. Who are you, Pedri? Um, Taylor have you ever succumbed to the dark arts Uh, yeah for sure I was taught those at a a very young age uh, by my coach uh, and I will name him Uh, Derek Etienne Jr's uncle is the one who taught me a lot of the dark arts that's a long name Uh, the one that I use to this day is when you're running like, like basically shoulder to shoulder with a person if you lock arms with them and then you fall over, they are falling on top of you and you're absolutely getting a free kick there. That was when I, I learned that if you're going to lose that that foot race or maybe you're not going to have the angle you thought you would, that is definitely okay. a way to draw a foul. There are other 
more violent ones, and then there's innocuous enough ones like untying someone's shoes as you bend over to catch your breath right before a corner comes in. You've done that? that was, I have never done that uh, because I don't think I'm suave enough to pull it off, and instead I would just tug their shoes, and then they would look at me, and I would be awkward and probably get hit in the face by the corner to add insult to injury. Uh, I've definitely done the fall over one. day-to-day life that you're doing these things. I mean, you know, just, I'm Dennis the Menace style. I'm just popping up, causing mischief, untying shoes, <laughs> tying people's shoelaces together. It's a whole thing. But, in, but aside from that, I have never, I don't think I've ever taken a dive when I knew there was no contact. I have definitely lied about handballing a ball in a box. That's definitely a thing that's happened. So I think, mm. again, it's, it's, it's definitely depending on your perspective if that's cheating or if that's just craftiness. Uh, but yeah, I've had a few of those moments. I think that's the one thing I've done, too, in my uh, career, if we're going to call it that, is the denial of something that happened, such yep. as uh, accidentally touching the ball in the box kind of situation. Uh, so it's, it happens to the best of us, I suppose, it Joe. Does. Has it happened uh, to you, Joe? Uh, I haven't. I, I just am not a good enough liar. Or I crack so easily to be able to play <laughs> off. Uh, oh, I didn't touch it in the box when I know I did. I would not be able to pull that off. I am though a fan and uh, a user of the Chiellini horse collar. Not that extreme, but, I mean, if they're about to break in behind and I can stop it with a yellow or or with no foul, it's going to happen because I'm not fast enough to catch you, so this is my one split second to uh, put in a somewhat cynical challenge and either drag you down or bring you down in one way or another, and it's it's probably going to happen, guys. Ryan, in that time period, I can't believe I forgot this. I, I have to tell you this story, if you don't mind. Uh, when I first, I don't care if you do, I'm telling you. Anyway. <laughs> uh, when I first moved back to Richmond, Richmond has, for a city of its size, which is, I think it's like one point something million Metro Richmond, it has a, a very large uh, amateur adult soccer league. I think there were 8,000 registered players, 4,000 active players before the pandemic. They had like nine different divisions, each one with like eight to 10 teams. And, like, full rosters, you had referees and everything like that. League structure, you had silverware and everything at the end of it. Uh, And that means it's all very regulated. And it used to be that you had player cards that you had to register with the league. You'd send them your photo. They would print this uh, player card that they would laminate, and then they would give it to you. That was your player card. Either the team manager would keep it or you, the individual, would keep it when you showed up for games. So I knew that was the rule when I first moved back, and I got asked to play for this team, this one game, uh, in a league, in a league game, where I knew, like, I'm not on the roster. Do I need to pay? Like, how do I get on the team? And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, Do you have a photo of yourself you can send me? And I thought that was odd, and my my buddy uh, Will was not going to be there. Uh, Will is Asian, and he was like, you can just be Will. And I was like, that's not going to work at all. And I showed up to find out that he had taken that photo I sent him and had a laminating machine in his car and would put the photos over top of the people's faces and then re-laminate them. So I played as, uh, yes, a, a different person for that game and was very confused. So, yes, I have definitely unintentionally been involved in cheating because he gave me my player card right before the game that was laminated with a different person's name but my face. Wow. Well, that goes to show that the cheating comes in all kinds of forms. Uh, sure apparently does. Forgery as well in the beautiful <laughs> game. Um, but, but there are lots of different kinds. There's sort of tactical cheating, which we can get onto later. There's uh, some more off the field stuff, which I suppose forgery falls into as well. But why don't we start off, gents, by talking about what I call casual everyday cheating, the kind of stuff that you see that, you know, might be slap on the wrist stuff, depending on how you view it. I'm thinking, Joe, uh, of the kind of small stuff like encroaching on a free kick the the, the 10 yards is drawn it's, it's harder with the magic spray these days but you know taking a few steps forward when the referee turns around or going a few extra yards with your throw in it's all cheating but it's it's kind of you know 
low-level stuff. You're not surprised when that stuff happens, or, or you're not if you've watched a few soccer games at some point. My favorite of the two you just mentioned, Ryan, I think maybe my favorite of any of the commonplace in-game cheating methods is the throw-in. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take another step. I'm going to take 12 more steps, and the referee is never, ever going to tell me to yeah, go and then back. You, then you have the performative, oh, I can't find anyone to throw the ball to <laughs> halfway through, so you stop and then take another couple steps. It's just, it's a joke. It is a joke, but it's, you know, it's our joke, and everybody, everybody likes it except when you're the team defending the throw-in and you're really annoyed that it's taking so long. Yeah, and I think maybe, uh, Graham, part, a cheating, an aspect of cheating we see virtually every game and something that's even coached, diving. Yeah, I mean, my unpopular opinion uh, that could, uh, in a footballing sense, get me cancelled is that I like diving. (laughs) Uh, I think there's an art to a well-crafted dive and it's kind of up to the referee to police the game. And I understand that people could maybe um, extrapolate out some views on society on the base of that. And I have to say that that, that's don't do that because I think cheating in... uh, in normal society and is, is wrong but in a in a in a game setting yeah i like a good dive a good <laughs> ashley young uh in fact like i often find the primary stigma around diving is not a question of sporting integrity but often of kind of masculinity and i don't like that at all you know how, how often have you heard some supporter kind of use some derogatory term to shame a diver and i, I think once even gary lineker suggested that divers should be shown pink cards and i just hate that whole discussion around diving so i say yeah bring on the divers <laughs> so we've got one member of the podcast who loves diving another who's uh, uh, experienced in forging documents half this podcast is reprobates basically <laughs> <laughs> and the other half is you and joe half of whom there, I assume, to also be rep- reprobate. Yeah. It's basically you didn't, Joe is the squeaky clean. It's just Joe. Of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, d- you didn't know that we were all reprobates before this podcast? Yeah. I mean, now we've just laid it out on the line, basically, Graham. You're right. Um, another one, Taylor, is something that we may have seen uh, a certain Italian team do this European Championships. It's time-wasting. Uh, a a, oh. a, 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 a hard-to-quantify method of cheating sometimes. Look, I know it, it's overblown to talk about CONCACAF and cocky but I, I don't care. That is still our brand and no one yes. else can have it. Yes, yes, Italy did their best version of time-wasting, but if you want to see glorious, infuriating, <laughs> remote-breaking time-wasting, come on over to CONCACAF, where there, are t- I re- there was like a Honduras game in, yep. in the last yep. World Cup qualifying cycle where they were time-wasting from the opening minute like I think they hoofed the ball out of bounds like 17 rows up and then suddenly all the ball kids had no replacements like they were not messing around with it and it is it is infuriating and then there comes the moment similar to what Graham was talking about with diving where like you almost have to applaud it like when the player gets like like they go he goes down injured and then realizes but if I stay on the field and get injured then they have to stop the game those sort of moments where they know what will have to happen if they do a certain thing and then they do that certain thing. It happened in the Gold Cup uh, in the last game for the U.S. against Jamaica where, uh, was it Alvis Powell on the right, Joe? Uh, yes, it was to start. He, he went down, he got back up, and then he realized like, like there couldn't, uh, basically like the Jamaica team realized like, oh no, the, like the U.S. can continue to play. So then another player for Jamaica went down to get quote-unquote treatment, but that was another way to kind of stop time for a moment while Alvis Powell got additional treatment. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that is certainly a, 
in the eye of one beholder, gamesmanship, and in the eye of the other would be cheating. Indeed. I think the other, feel free to add some more examples of this everyday cheating, if you will. But I think a big one is something we've touched on, which is um, that ignoring when you have committed a foul or ignoring when the opponent has an advantage and you you might have had a better view than the referee. And the one that I always think about for this is Frank Lampard's ghost goal at the 2010 Mm. World Cup where Manuel Neuer... Uh, and I quote, he said, I tried not to react to the referee and just concentrate on what was happening. This, by the way, to give clarity, is um, Frank Lampard scored a goal that went over the line and it wasn't given. So uh, Neuer says, I tried not to react to the referee and just concentrate on what was happening. I realized it was over the line. And I think the way I carried on so quickly fooled the referee into thinking it was not over. So what Manuel Neuer is happy to admit there is that he cheated and that he bragged about it afterwards, essentially. So, oh, yeah. That's, that's quite out there, isn't it? Act I mean, like that, you belong, baby. Act like you're doing the right thing. And, the, and the, the ref will do that sometimes. If they're unsure about, like, it happens with throw-ins a lot, I think, if the AR isn't sure who it went off of last and the center isn't, but somebody just picks it up and is very much like, nah, it's our ball, it's our ball for sure. Like, mm. that's why you see, as soon as the ball goes out of bounds, teams will always protest because there's a chance that that protest works. And I think sort of acting like you are definitely aware of what you've seen and you know exactly how things are going can play to your advantage for sure. Is, yeah. that, is that manual? Not, there's a real chance this podcast reflects really badly on me. <laughs> but is, is that Manuel Neuer's duty? Like, I, I think I would have acted in exactly the same way. Like, it's up to the, the officials to police the game and to spot that. And if they don't, oh, well. Well, that doesn't make it not cheating, Graham, because he literally says he tried to fool the referee into thinking it was not over the line when it was. Yeah, as I say, this podcast doesn't reflect them well on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe it shows the different degrees of cheating there can be. And another one, maybe this is very innocuous, but it's the everyone putting their arms up in a defensive line to call for an offside when they have no idea if it's offside or not. That's I think that's one. just hope. I think that's just <laughs> hope, hopeful optimism there if you're a defender. Yeah. Uh, I would say, but if we're talking about like things groups do, I would say surrounding the official is a big one that mm. is gamesmanship, but then occasionally verges on other things when every single call is contested and argued about and the official is surrounded, cough, cough, Barcelona, cough, cough, uh, then I, I, I think it does... It does have an effect, and there can be the moments when the official will just have enough of it and dishes out some cards, and if anything, start, continues to call things the way he or she has. But there are definitely other moments when, all right, you're right, Messi got kicked there. Next time, I'm given a card. And then maybe it doesn't deserve a yellow card next time, but it's going to happen because otherwise he's going to get surrounded. I think that is a tactic, and I think that's a thing that certain leagues tried to weed out. There was that like two-week period when the Premier League said, any complaint to the official is getting carded, and they did that and then realized this is not sustainable and bailed entirely. Indeed. Uh, one more example of this, which we haven't touched, and I can't believe we haven't got here already. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo going on his tiptoes in team photos to appear taller. Massive cheating. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Uh, we're going to come back after this short break and discuss a few more specific examples and maybe some anecdotes of cheating from the beautiful game. Uh, we'll be back very shortly. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's a VPN service that works on your computer, your tablets, all of your interweb devices, Tay-Tay. What do you think of it? Tell me about it. It's a very private notebook is what a VPN is, and it's basically you store all your thoughts in your notebook and no one can find it. I think that's what it is. I might have the wrong copy, Ryan. I think, rather, Tay-Tay, ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel ah. between your device and the interwebs so your online activity can't be seen by anyone else. Uh, it's kind of like... 
using using the internet without a VPN, Tay-Tay, is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door if we're going to be gross about this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> the, the main way you can use a VPN, or one of the good ways you can use VPN, not only does it um, you know encrypt your device and uh, protect you from any potential lurkers, but you can make your computer believe it is in a country it is not in. And I am in the UK at the moment, Tay-Tay, and I'm very happy with using ExpressVPN to log into... Uh, services like Hulu, uh, mm-hmm. which you cannot use outside of the United States unless you got a wow. VPN, and I that's what I've been about doing. These things. That yeah. is that is incredibly cool. Like, and and for you, a person who's had the experience of not having a VPN, has it been frustrating in the past to not sort of be able to access those things or watch those games as easily as you might have been able to? Were you still in the states? Absolutely, yeah. If I want to watch my NBC SN channel yeah. over in the UK, cannot do so without a VPN. Oof. Um, hmm, might watch some HBO tonight before bed. Can't do it without a VPN, baby. So that's uh, one of the best uses, and certainly the primary use that I have for ExpressVPN. I will add, Tate, that um, I've used many VPN services, and I think ExpressVPN is by far the best one I've used. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. I'm saying that because I totally mean it. And another example of why they're wonderful is they have excellent, excellent customer service. I had a little query about how to log on to a certain uh, device I was using, and they were very prompt in giving me an answer. And I think they are wonderful in all ways. And do you know what, Tate? What's that? We can even incentivize our dear listener into using ExpressVPN because we have an offer for them. The devil you say. Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash soccer today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N. I always worry I'm going to misspell it. Dot com slash soccer. (laughs) And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. And now back to cheating. Soccer 101, welcome back. Let's, uh, gentlemen, discuss some particular instances of cheating. Maybe we can talk about some famous incidents. And if you're going to ask a person of English persuasion, they're going to give you one example, Taylor. Can you guess what it is? I would like to make a joke here, but it's the hand of God. It's the hand of God. Maradona at the World Cup in 1986 uh, in Mexico at the Azteca, uh, playing uh, Argentina playing against England in a quarterfinal. The 51st minute of this game, uh, Maradona goes up for a challenge with uh, English goalkeeper Peter Shilton. Peter Shilton is six foot one. Maradona is eight inches shorter than that. And yet he beat Peter Shilton, who had his arms outstretched above him. Power header. Very powerful header, apparently. Must have been that hair. Uh, But who knows? Um, uh, He obviously scored the goal with his hand. He later said, I was waiting for my teammates to embrace me and no one came. I shouted at them, come and hug me or the referee isn't going to allow it. There. Did allow it. And minutes later, of course. Sorry? The referee not hear that if he's shouting... Spanish, baby, Spanish. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, but still. Yeah, or maybe it was more of a visual come hither and uh, play along with this one. Is Graham suggesting that Diego Maradona might have a tendency to self-mythologize? What? (laughs) Never! Uh, minutes later, of course, after that incident, he did score uh, probably the greatest goal of all time, which somewhat, uh, you know, softened that blow for, for for England because we did see a, a, an amazing goal and probably didn't Not deserve to Peter go through Shilton. that game. Not Peter Shilton. He, I think he's still quite unhappy about that one, Graham. Actually, yeah. Well, um, but, I mean, the thing about that that goal is why how why doesn't he jump higher? As you say, Maradona is tiny. His hand isn't that far outstretched because obviously. 
to give the slight impression, I mean, it's still pretty obvious, but to give the slight impression of it being a header, his hand needs to be relatively close to his head. So it's not stretched fully above him. And yet, Peter Shelton's beaten to a 50-50 in the air by this by this player who's, you know, barely five foot. I just I don't get it at all. The answer there is that not all of Peter Shilton's judgments are uh, are exactly the correct ones. See his vote in the Brexit vote. Uh, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, Graham, I'll come to you. Have you any uh, anecdotes you wanted to talk about or bring to the table cheating-wise? I think I'm probably stepping on someone's toes because this seems like uh, quite a famous example, but Luis Suarez at the 2010 World mm. Cup a full-on save on the goal line uh, to prevent Ghana scoring a, a goal that would have sent him, likely would have sent him through in, in, in the World Cup. And obviously, he, he is, he's sent off. Uh, then, uh, Fernando Muslera, the goalkeeper, saves the uh, the penalty and uh, Uruguay end up going through with, with 10 men. Um, and so, I, I, I think... Even in this instance, again, this podcast is not going to reflect well. No, I agree all. with you, Graham. I, too, I agree I'm with you so before with you, you say it. <laughs> but I agree. There is, I, agree. I, I, I have an admiration for that split-second yep. calculation yep. that a red card gives my team an opportunity to stay in this game of giving the goalkeeper a chance to save the penalty and then eking out the victory. And so even in, even in the case of Luis Suarez, I can't believe I'm defending Luis Suarez, but... I likely would have done similar, or I like. I would like to believe I would have the, you know, I'd have the guts to do similar because obviously it's it's a it's a bold thing to do. But I think he was justified. Obviously, the thing that rubs salt into the wounds and is the cl- made it the classic Suarez pantomime moment is his celebration yeah. of Muslera saving the penalty and the he's kind of watching the penalty from the the tunnel as he's returning to the dressing room and he kind of turns to I'm not entirely sure who he's celebrating in in the face of but he turns to the stands and gives it everything with both both fists clenched and uh, yeah that was maybe a little bit much Louis but I have an admiration for the the split second calculation he made as I say it's Graham, genius it's so genius yeah Graham I'm in your, I'm on your corner in your it corner. is but here's my question like if if he gets that red card like he is punished he's sent off. Is that still cheating? Because, like, yeah, he broke the rules, but then he got caught and punished, and then, and then they still got the result. Like, if it is, I, I don't put it... I put it in a less severe category to Maradona and probably even, like, Thierry Henry when he has that handball against Ireland. Like, they're not punished. They benefit from it. Uruguay, benef- uh, yeah, Uruguay benefited from it, but, like, Suarez is still punished. So it, it's a weird, murkier one for me, and that's Hang where on. I'm with you. I think it's to be admired. Taylor, are you suggesting that if you get the red card, it's no longer cheating? Uh, like, if I do a murder and I go to prison, is it was it no longer a crime? <laughs> do a no, murder? No, but you, I guess you, if you do, do a murder, murder. yeah. <laughs> if, uh, I guess that's a fair point. I, I just feel like, but then like justice has been served, and I think cheating so often isn't punished. Or there's the thing that makes cheating or breaking the rules such of like a violation in my mind is the idea that like there won't be justice, there won't be. Punishment, and so Maradona goes on to win the World Cup. Thierry Henry goes on to play in the World Cup because France mm. ended up qualifying. But like, so I think that is maybe the only difference for me. It's still cheating, I guess. To your point, it's maybe just a less severe version because at least somebody saw it and acted accordingly. I think the Luis Suarez example at the World Cup is the best possible example of tactical cheating for the for the, for the reasons you've outlined. Oh, my friend. Oh, my friend, have I got examples for you? <laughs> oh, pray tell, pray tell, Tay Tay. Well, so I, I really enjoy the, like, as the the frightened turtle in the U.S. Senate has shown us, a knowledge of procedure <laughs> and rules is 
very important uh, in in the world if you want to win at all costs, as that frightened turtle does. Uh, Two examples for you. Uh, One of my favorites uh, comes from... I wasn't as familiar with this one. A listener uh, sent us this nomination a while back to do an entire 101 episode about, but I will read the summary. Uh, With three minutes left of his team's 1994 Caribbean Cup qualifier against Granada, Barbados defender Seeley hatched a scheme. Barbados led 2-1, so they're up 2-1, but they needed a two-goal win to progress at Granada's expense. With time running out, Seeley recalled a strange rule that was in effect for this tournament. Goals netted in extra time counted double. He booted in an intentional own goal to level the tie, giving his team more time to score right at the end, the idea being forcing it to extra time, where if they then win, it's a two-goal bonus and they go through. Granada, who would, again, not go through if Barbados did, quickly realized that a goal at either end would uh, basically stop them from going through. So Barbados, oh, excuse me, Granada then basically realized if they scored an own goal, they go through. If they score a goal themselves, they go through. So Barbados had to defend both goals from that point on. And it was both teams trying to score but not score simultaneously. So I think anytime you get sort of People knowing the rules and knowing how to use those to their advantage, I really appreciate it. And forgive me for going very long, but the ultimate example of this one, in my mind, would be Bob Bradley. Do you all know the thing that I'm going to talk about here? Say more. Oh, it's my favorite. So, for a brief period of time, way back when, Major League Soccer allowed four substitutions. You could do three field players and one goalkeeper. So as Major League Soccer uh, explained in a series of tweets, basically uh, when the Metro Stars were tied with DC at the end of regulation, this is in 2003 when Bob Bradley is in charge of the Metro Stars, Tim Howard is in goal, he swaps jerseys with midfielder Mark Lisi, winger Eddie Gavin subs in, wearing a goalkeeper kit and gloves, he replaces Lisi in goal, Howard and Gavin then swap jerseys, Howard goes back into goal, Eddie Gavin scores the winner nine minutes into extra time. And after that, the Four substitution rule was rolled back. So that's sort of like <laughs> using the institution and the rules thereof to your advantage in a way that was not intended is definitely cheating, but there's a craftiness to it that I have to appreciate. Wow. Joe, any examples you want to bring to the table? <laughs> that was that was great, by the way. And the, Before I come to you, Joe, that, that Caribbean Cup one is wild as well. I guess that's why we don't do double goals in extra time anymore. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> Joe. I have another manager-related one, and this is a fairly recent example. It's the Marcelo Bielsa Spygate situation. So this mm. is when Bielsa – and Taylor did a great Soccer 101 episode fairly recently. Scroll down a little bit in the feed on Bielsa. Um, so, yeah, absolutely give that a listen. While Bielsa was coaching Leeds in the championship, he sent a spy over to Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard's got a lot of airtime on this podcast. He mm. sent a spy over to watch – Derby County's training when Frank Lampard was managing them again back in 2019. Uh, and Bielsa afterward was caught, and, and they realized the spy had come from, from Leeds at his command of sorts. And Bielsa was caught, didn't really apologize. He held a, a strange press conference afterwards, pretty much in lieu of an apology. He talked about taking responsibility <laughs> and all that stuff. But his real response to being caught was holding a giant press conference where he, he clued in a bunch of journalists as to his insane pregame analysis, like his neurotic serial do-a-murderer kind of pre-match <laughs> preparation. 
Uh, and it was like 35 minutes long, and he's going through slides and slides and slides. And uh, that's how he chose to respond to sending a, a spy to go hang out with Frank Lampard. Leads were fined. So, Taylor, it's all, it's all good because leads were fined and uh, <laughs> given a severe reprimand. So no, no, no cheating. They did not do a cheat, I guess. <laughs> Bielsa's reaction was much like Fat Tony in The Simpsons. He was like, what? What did I do? We do this <laughs> We were innocent. And then to go and rip apart Frank Lampard's uh, team afterwards was wonderful. Frank Lampard, the most cheated on player in soccer, perhaps we are, we're discovering in this episode, by the way. Um, another one I'll bring to the table. One of the most punished examples of cheating is Calciopoli. Um, yep. mm. which is uh, the, the uh, scandal that affected Syria. Uh, match fixing in the 2004-05 and 05-06 seasons. It affected Juventus, Milan, Fiorentina, Lazio and Regina. And it was Juve who got the biggest uh, punishments here. And the, the controversy here was they were affecting... They were... Uh, Picking favourable referees for games, essentially. Doing the dirty. And uh, Juventus had their, their title stripped away in those seasons. They were relegated to Serie B as well. So uh, that's, a, that's an example of off-the-field cheating, certainly, there. Uh, Graham, I'll come to you. Anything else you want to bring to the table here? I think there's a whole a whole thread of off-the-field off the stuff. You know, related to what you're talking about there, in, in a different way, would be teams who enter... I guess administration, although that's that that is not always related to cheating. But you have had occasions. I'm thinking of uh, Rangers here in Scotland, who uh, a tax case basically uh, sunk them and and saw them enter administration. So uh, I guess there are there are a lot of cases. Um, if you pull on that thread of, of off the field stuff, Marseille in the in the early nineties again, kind of on on the pulling on the match fixing thread a little bit. There are a few examples. Um, like that and I, I I would draw a line there that is not the sort of thing I admire you know just because I like diving doesn't mean that I also endorse tax evasion um, sure Graham yeah, <laughs> I yeah. feel like I need to make that clarification put it out there um, Taylor don't put my VAT number on my invoices please um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there, there's a there's a lot of stuff there that you when you talk about calcio poly there um, yeah. Ryan there's a lot of stuff so that's why Graham always insists you send an envelope full of cash. Now I realise. Now I realise. While we're talking about sort of off the field stuff, this made me think of um, an example of cheating that's kind of half off the field, half on. And it's something that can be used to your advantage and it's something that can be used to cheat as well. Ball boys. Um, you'll ah, recall yes. that Jose Mourinho had, had likes to reward ball boys who throw the ball back quickly for, for his team and who dilly dally. Uh, for teams who are uh, uh, his opponents. Uh, maybe the most uh, famous example of ball boy cheating, though, might have come from Swansea's match with Chelsea in 2013 in the League Cup. I think it was the semi-final uh, where Eden Hazard was accused, quite rightly, of kicking a ball boy, um, trying to get the ball off of him when he was shielding it with his entire body to stop Chelsea putting the ball back into play. Uh, Eden Hazard was given a red card for that and a three-match ban as well. And I don't know if you remember this, gents. Uh, the kid was called Charlie Morgan. I think he was in Swansea's Academy at the time. Uh, he was 17 at the time. And he basically became an internet celebrity afterwards because he tweeted about it and he, he, he had his, um, his 15 minutes of fame certainly out of it. And I had a little look into him and where he is now. He owns a vodka brand and he's doing very well for himself. It's called <laughs> AU Vodka. They're not a sponsor, but I'll give them their name anyway because apparently it's quite a popular one. But... Uh, if you cheat as a ball boy, one day you'll end up owning a liquor brand, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, that is the moral of the story to be learned here, I think, yeah. for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, I I have no ball boy incidents. I have a very famous one from World Cup history, but I feel like I've talked a lot, so I don't want to stomp on any other people's ideas. I want to hear it Go now, Taylor. You've teed it up. Well, it's the 1978 World Cup, and this is one that I think gets pointed to a lot because there is always the specter of doping around different teams at different times. And whenever mm. you get those moments, like we we like we had that like where we were all sort of blissfully naive about like the Maguire Sosa home run race, where it was like, how did those two guys get so big? They must love living in the gym. Like you can sort of look the other way and there's like some teams i really don't want to get sued but i will just say there are some clubs who for the longest time had this almost magical ability to not have injuries and have players continue to perform at peak level for a very long time despite this is definitely a grandpa simpson tale the way you've started this it was the summer of 1942 (laughs) such was the style at the time i I just don't want to get sued but there are tons (laughs) Of allegations and stories and anecdotes about the Argentina team that won the 1978 World Cup. Uh, A lot of them sort of forced upon the team by the military junta that was governing the country at that time. But there are stories about the team's water boy taking their urine tests. There are stories about players testing positive uh, for being pregnant because they were taking or allegedly taking uh, certain... Uh, things to counteract certain other things that needed to be taken. Uh, I think there's a couple stories of players who had to run for like an hour after the game because their heartbeat wouldn't come down, and they were so amped up that that was the only way they could relax. And then, of course, that's also the World Cup that has the famous story of Argentina playing Peru and needing the results. I think this is it. I'm saying this one off the top of my head. But it was like the the head of the military junta, visited the Peruvian team, and then after Peru lost a couple weeks later, they, like, unfroze assets and shipped a, a, a shipment of grain to Peru from Argentina, and there's many, there's much speculation that maybe there was government involvement in a number of different ways to make sure that Argentina performed well on the global stage. Taylor, if you're going to mention international soccer and doping, um, and you don't want to mention any modern European examples, then so be it. I mean, so be it. So be it. Um, <laughs> also, you mentioned Argentina there, and Diego Maradona is probably an example who we brought up what? before. But you have to remember the 1994 World Cup where he uh-huh. did, was it one game he played? And then was sent home for very much uh, doping offences. Looking um, into the camera, basically. Yeah, that's how I forever remember that. Looking into the camera like a madman and then being uh-huh. uh, dope tested shortly thereafter and being sent home yes and we've we've painted maradona as a bit of a villain in this episode but i think in the interest of balance (laughs) no no he's your hero graham we know that but in the interest of balance um if you watch say like the maradona documentary yes the Steve capada documentary um which is excellent you'll see how much he was cheated against in that he was hacked so much he had to you know he was fouled Mm. constantly in his prime particularly in his napoli days so he he did receive some uh, unfair treatment as well if we're going to be balanced about that kind of thing um how about some more examples Uh, uh, joe have you got anything else to bring to the table here I do, and this one is less about cheating on the field, more about cheating in life and how a certain individual gamed his way and used soccer as a platform. And I'm talking about Carlos Kaiser, whose actual name was Carlos Enrique Raposo. He was a Brazilian soccer player, but also not. And his big shtick was he went around from team to team and was so likable, uh, he just consistently impressed coaches and decision-makers and owners at various clubs 
and got signed and got signed again and got signed again because everybody in, enjoyed him and enjoyed what he could bring both from a connections and a wealth perspective and I guess enjoyed having him around. So he had a long 20-plus year career. But uh, Renato Gaucho, one of the greatest Brazilian soccer players of his generation, called Kaiser, which is a self-given nickname, uh, the greatest footballer never to have played football. He played for four of the biggest clubs in Rio in Brazil uh, and usually went down with a muscle injury in training, his first training every single time. How people didn't catch on or maybe, maybe they did and just didn't care. And again, those connections that he had came in handy. But he had exactly zero appearances on the field in his entire career. His one closest moment to actually getting on the field was uh, when he was playing for Bangu in Brazil in 1988. And the owner there uh, was an illegal gambler, uh, owned and operated an illegal gambling ring. Dangerous guy, someone you didn't really want to mess with. The owner had apparently grown tired of Carlos Kaiser's stick and, and wanted him to play. The team was down 2 nothing. The owner called the coach or told the coach, okay, put Carlos in the game. And at this point, it's panic time because if he goes on the field, everybody's going to see him for the fraud that he is from a soccer perspective, and he's going to be in, in real big trouble. But if he doesn't play, he's going to anger this owner and is also going to be in big trouble. So uh, instead of choosing either one of those two options, he made option three, which was start a brawl with the fans on his way to actually checking into the game, get a red card and get sent off and continue his streak of never actually ever having played <laughs> a game. Carlos Kaiser, there's a movie about him. There's a book that's been written about him. He is one of the greatest soccer players to never have actually played soccer. Wow. That's a good story. Um, Graham, I'm going to come to you, but uh, before I do, I'm going to give an example of myself embracing my inner Graham and appreciating some cheating. Um, England against Iceland in the Nations League uh, last year in September. You may remember it was a game where England won 1-0, but Iceland were awarded a penalty. And James Ward-Prowse, whilst the hubbub of the penalty was being awarded, very deliberately scuffed the penalty spot with his heel, like dug it out a little bit uh, just before the Iceland player placed the ball on the spot and missed his penalty. And I remember at the time chuckling along and thinking, oh, that's brilliant gamesmanship. But now I think about it, I'm no better than you, Graham. (laughs) Well, that was actually going to be one of my examples. Was um, Did Ricardo, the Portuguese goalkeeper, not do that to Beckham at the... Mm. Uh, what Euros was that? 2004, I think it was, yeah, uh, where Beckham right. ends up skying the penalty over, and the reason was given that was given that Ricardo had kind of um, scuffed up, as you called it, the, the the penalty spot. And 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 pulling on that thread a little bit, you get in terms of the pitch, you will get teams who will water a certain half of the pitch at half time um, for certain reasons. You'll get teams who will grow the length of the grass mm. a little bit longer so that maybe opposition teams, you know, if you're playing a, a Barcelona one weekend, you you might not cut the grass in, in that week just to slow down their passing a little bit, give you a, a better chance of... Uh, of catching them and, and not chasing the ball as much or at least not as, as fast as you would have to do normally. So, again, is, is that cheating or is it just ga- or is it just gamesmanship? I'm not so sure. The, the lines are blurred a little bit there. But that is certainly a, a tactic some teams employ. Agreed, Graham. And I think with that, especially against Barcelona, I've heard of teams not cutting the grass and then also when they do the relining of the field prior to that game. That field is maybe just a couple yards narrower and a couple yards shorter because then Barcelona don't have as much room to keep the ball and keep the ball moving. They have to work in a slightly confined space and they have to do it with taller grass holding that ball up so there are yeah again it's like it's not technically illegal but you know what you're doing and what you're doing is giving yourself a competitive advantage 
that has very much reminded me of an, uh, an anecdote from my personal uh, soccer viewing experience. I'm a Wimbledon fan, and uh, I think it was the first game of the 95-96 season. Uh, uh, Wimbledon hosted Liverpool at home at Selhurst Park, opening game of the season, and the grass was hilariously long. Like, the ball, <laughs> like, half of it disappeared when it was, like, on, on, on the ground. It was, like, very, very noticeable. It was even mentioned on the commentary of Matt a day later on. Uh, but it was because Liverpool were very much a passing team. Pass and move, it's Liverpool groove. Wimbledon were a team who liked to play the ball in the air and play it to the big man. And Wimbledon won 1-0 that day. And a large part of that result was probably down to the fact that they let the grass grow for an extra week or so. So, they, yeah, that, that, that kind of thing does happen quite a lot, and it's nothing new. Uh, we've, we've probably come up with uh, instances of cheating all day long, but I'll open the floor one more time. Has anybody else got anything they want to add here? Taylor, how about you? I think we've probably gone light on match fixing, said at that time, and uh, blood doping, mostly because those are very big issues with very like wide ranging consequences and i think mm. those could be their own shows and there's also a lot of players who get accused and then the tests come back negative the second time or it's widely whispered but never confirmed so i think like leaving those aside i just stick with those little moments like the there's the long told rumor that jose Mourinho got a red card was banned from the game and then had himself like uh what smuggled into the stadium in like the laundry cart so that he could be oh, yes. there to give instructions and i do enjoy whenever there's a manager who's gotten a red card and is no longer allowed to be coaching either in that game or the subsequent game when that manager is suspended and then you see the assistant with either just straight up talking on the cell phone or with the earpiece in and the instructions are clearly being relayed to the assistant about what to do again i don't know if that's necessarily cheating but it is an advantage that shouldn't be there yeah and managers go creeping outside their technical area taylor always a bugbear of mine they've got a big enough technical area especially at most modern stadiums um joe anything else from you sir can playing at yankee stadium be considered <laughs> cheating um because yes man, joe oh just okay sorry quick aside this is not entirely related to cheating but nycfc has had to play a bunch of their home games this year we're recording in the 2021 season uh they've played a bunch of their home games at red bull arena and it's just so much better for the viewing experience at least from people that are watching from home uh just watching games and i imagine playing games at yankee stadium is not a fun experience and so hey maybe they found their own little non-cheating but their own advantage in that nycfc have yeah, I've seen a couple of games at um, Yankee Stadium, an NYCSC one, and I think it was Real Madrid played Milan in a preseason friendly once, and both were not optimal viewing experiences yeah. for the viewers. So I do sympathise with the NYCFC fans who uh, tend to go to that baseball stadium. Graham, anything more from you, sir, in this episode? Just when, when Taylor was talking about suspended managers in the stands somehow communicating with their team, the best example I've seen of that was, I'm sure it was a Celtic game, um, and the manager, who must it must have been Neil Lennon at the time, had recorded messages on on a phone. And um, when substitutes were coming on, they were getting handed the the AirPods to put in their ear and get and playing the message on the phone, so that they were getting a mini team talk from the manager. And then just before <laughs> they go on, they take the AirPods out again, and and then it's the next sub who has the next message. And so they must have recorded messages for all the subs. Uh, I just wonder what the sub goalie one was. <laughs> I hope it was all the same, and it was just like you're going to do great out there, buddy. Like it yeah. was very <laughs> vague and non non player specific. Uh, Hang in there, champ. 
Exactly. <laughs> you can do it, pal. Uh, question for you all before we go. Uh, I know we're going long, but I, it's a thing that I kept kind of running into, and I'm wondering what you all think. Has VAR eliminated a lot of this? Because I think about how many times in the past there have been, like, the Rivaldo dive, which, Graham, I know you even wouldn't agree with that one, the one where, like, the Turkish player passes a ball in his vicinity. I think it hits him in the foot. and oh, he it was funny. Down, like, he's been <laughs> shot in the face. Uh, what did you say, Graham? It was funny. Yeah, okay, I can see, enjoy that one as well. <laughs> but, like, those moments... We have VAR now, and like I, I remember little moments of Pepe like getting away with stuff off the ball, and just some of those tackles that I think were sort of ah, I'm not really sure the referee had a bad angle. Like we now know that VAR will catch anything you do, even if it's 60 yards behind the run of play and no one's looking. A camera will spot that, and you're going to get in trouble. And I feel like we're gonna we're getting less and less of that type of cheating, and or maybe people are just getting craftier. But that's one thing I was wondering: is has VAR limited some of this to at least some extent? It has to have limited Rivaldo style incidents, surely. Yeah, because you you know you're going to get called out straight away with that kind of thing. But I don't think it's exclusively. You know, I don't think they're completely wiped out because. Yeah. It's, players still get caught out on occasion but the more obvious stuff surely you've got to be thinking in your mind when you're a player i can't sell this one because i'll i'll, I'll get caught out yeah i mean hand play. of god isn't happening anymore like Thierry Henry, that handball is getting brought back that goal is not counting so i think yeah. some of those instances probably are going to be policed a bit more aggressively yeah and maybe that's the moral of the story we should leave uh, this episode on taylor that cheating is being cracked down on but for the most part cheating throughout the history in this game players have just gotten away with it yep <laughs> as graham wants it to be <sighs> i see graham is uh, uh holding his hands together mr bernstar saying excellent as he listens to all these examples <laughs> graham thank you very much for your uh, contributions evil or otherwise on this show <laughs> no problem and i would just like to clarify once again i am not a tax evader if hmrc are listening <laughs> <laughs> too late too late they're already investigating you graham uh joe thank you very much for your time you got it ryan and taylor rockwell thank you sir my pleasure graham ruthven may not be a tax evader but graham ruthven jr and the third might be uh, i would say <laughs> give those names some looks folks give those names some looks <laughs> how they got Al Capone that's all I'm saying (laughs) alright thank you guys thank you listener we'll be back soon bye